All right, we are back. We have so many topics we can go into. Um, headline from the B a couple of weeks ago that I haven't gotten to. Elk Grove growth leads state. Leads state. A report shows the city's population rose by 27% last year. Laguna West annexation was a big factor. Written by Matt Kobler, the B. It's all true. Traffic is getting slower, the air is smoggier, and classrooms more crowded. And anyone with a pulse can tell you one reason. California's population is growing at an extraordinary pace. We must deal with this in a more comprehensive, uh, comprehensive method. Uh, California's population is now at 36 million. And it's going to easily hit 40 million uh, by, the, you know, the ne- by the end of this uh, decade. And people should be terrified at this prospect. I argue with this about a friend of mine all the time. He's a, he's a contractor, and he always says, well, people have to live somewhere. And, and I agree, they do have to live somewhere, but they don't have to live in California. I'll talk about that next week in regards to what I've just seen south of the border uh, in terms of unbelievable, uncontrolled population expansion, which is very much related to our problem here in California. As Mexico's population rises, so does California. It's uh, not cause and effect, but the two are linked. Without getting into too much detail, this contractor friend of mine um, had a problem a few years ago where he sort of ran away from home and was uh, sort of on a bender. And... uh, I remember so well having a conversation with him about how it needed, he needed to end this, come in out of the cold, and stop what he was doing. And the conversation went along the lines of like, well, no, I can't because I've just spent $10,000 buying some cocaine and I've got to get the money back. Um, that conversation and the conversation that says people, we have to live, people have to live somewhere, in my mind, are kind of equally nutty. And I would raise, I would raise an actual question for you, the listening audience. Who has caused you more trouble? Your local neighborhood crack dealer or your local neighborhood developer? I mean, think about that as you're stuck in traffic right now, perhaps. Think about that as you look up at the air that's uh, getting unbelievably bad here in California's Central Valley, which has got to be the most perfect smog trap known to man. Uh, When we expand to 50 million, which developers intend to do, they're not going to go in the Bay Area. And, uh, mo- and a great majority are not going to go in Los Angeles. It's going to go here in the Central Valley. Now, imagine putting a population equivalent to Los Angeles here in our Central Valley with the air inversions that we have and the lack of, like, Delta Breeze we have in much of the valley. This is a terrifying prospect. We'll come back to that. Another thing that I want to return to, an, an article I saw, a little, little blurb I noticed in Harper's as I was flying around the country. A correction was issued in Harper's Magazine that stated in the year 2000, Democrat Gavin Newsom, now mayor of San Francisco, made a $500 donation not to the Bush-Cheney campaign, which they listed in their index, but to the Republican Party of San Francisco was distributed campaign materials endorsing him for supervisor and Bush for president. Now, not to get too conspiratorial here, but in an election year where Karl Rove and the Republicans are salivating at the prospect of gay marriage being made an issue, do you think it's maybe worth looking into the fact that uh, San Francisco's mayor seems to have some pals or seems to have some affiliation with the Republican Party? 
I don't know. It makes me wonder. Gavin gets it both ways. He gets to like get all the support of the liberal, which is liberal San Francisco, which is probably the nation's most liberal city, while at the same time raising an issue that people in the Republican Party are delighted to have him raise. Remember, we told you a story on this program about Roger Stone and how the Republicans were running the Al Sharpton campaign, something that didn't get the publicity it deserved here in this uh, in this election year. We just must say, stranger things have happened regarding Mayor Newsom. Also in that same Harper is a letter by Mr. Garth Rogers of San Mateo, California, pointed out that when editor Lewis Lapham alluded to the federal deficit having risen to $521 billion, <laughs> Mr. Rogers pointed out, oh, if only that was the deficit increase in that one year. The U.S. debt is currently at a little more than $7.1 trillion. Yes, that's with a T. Fascinating article in Discover Magazine, uh, this current issue in June, which uh, mentions UC Davis rather prominently inside. Um, it's about dogs, the domestication of the dog, and uh, how dogs on the Cook Islands, I guess it was in Rorotonga, um, have very short legs, and they went to examine why this could be, and uh, we're using DNA uh, sampling to try and determine this. And a lot of interesting data is coming out of this. It shows how certain traits genetically seem to be linked. If you're going to select for more docile animals to make pets, well, then you may get certain traits that go along with it. This article also mentions work done by Dmitry Balyanev, a Russian geneticist. Now, we mentioned Lysenko earlier in the program. Uh, Balayev was studying the genetics of fur-bearing foxes in Soviet Russia at a time when Darwinism and Mendelian genetics were considered subversive. This is due to the insidious effect of Trofim Lysenko. Um, basically, it cost Balayev his job. He was exiled to Siberia, but he managed to retain a position as a researcher and to study physiology ostensibly, but actually spent the last 26 years of his life doing what he wanted to do, which was domesticate foxes. The fox, of course, is a wild animal. They made an effort to, to reproduce what happened to the dog by selecting more and more docile foxes. In doing so, it's rather interesting that in 20 generations, uh, Balayev and others were able to select a very docile fox. They may say, in, in effect, domesticated a fox. When they did so, it wound up having droopy ears. It wound up having a uh, sort of a piebald sort of a pelt like a Holstein cow, something that we do see in other domestic species. I find this stuff very interesting. Balayev died in 1980s. He left his fox with uh, foxes with a geneticist, Ludmilia Trut, who has continued uh, his work, but with the funding um, uh, for it being disrupted by the collapse of the Soviet Union, there's been a bit of a struggle, but the foxes are still there and some of the work is still going on, and we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna find someone right here at UCD that can talk about this very interesting topic. And I'm gonna put off till next week a discussion of two fascinating articles in New Scientist magazine about uh, why our fears about fat may be displaced. It turns out that uh, dieting may be more harmful for your health than just having a few extra pounds and forgetting about it and carrying them around with you. And there's also apparently been a breakthrough in understanding photosynthesis. We may uh, potentially be able to use a very similar chemical reaction that doesn't involve chlorophyll and harness sunlight directly. Now, we talked in the past about how dollars uh, were not spent on uh, hydrogen fusion. Uh, I think dollars not being spent on this kind of flower power is a scandal that we need to, uh, to probe as well. 
And on next week's show, we're going to talk about uh, the Left Behind series, the greatest bestsellers, some say, in history, 62 million volumes sold. <laughs> one of the authors is one of the three founders of The Moral Majority. Yes, he, along with Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, founded the controversial group during the Reagan administration. And his books about how the apocalypse is upon us uh, seems to be resonating throughout all of the red states of George Bush. You know, the ones that were on uh, the election night uh, turning red as the electoral votes were in the Bush column. We're not theologists on this show, but we're going to take a look at the apocalypse as perceived by the Christian right and uh, talk a little bit about the writings of uh, St. John, which some non-religious types would argue uh, appears to be even wackier than that of Timothy Leary. All right, and two final items out of the Week magazine. We note that former KKK leader David Duke, who just finished serving a prison sentence for fraud, was allowed to meet his parole requirements by working for a white civil rights group. I wonder if they were wearing uh, pointy hats. And it was a bad week for Homeland Security uh, last week as congressional investigators found that 28 senior federal employees, including an assistant secretary of defense, an official in the Transportation Security Administration, had bogus college degrees from mail-order diploma mills. Returning to the program is Senator Joseph Lieberman, Radio Parallax's very own campaign 2004 insider. Glad to be back, Doug. You know, my Hawaiian friends offer support for my bid to help John Kerry. Very glad that you had me on the show. Yeah, well, you told us about that last yes. week, about being a being the big kahuna. And uh, I, guess, I guess you feel you can really deliver those key four electoral votes from Hawaii. Well, I don't mean to brag, Doug, but I'm sure of it. Of course, what Democrats need now is someone with real Southern appeal. This is crucial to victory on Election Day, and that's where my real strength lies. In the South. Well, yes, in the South, totally in the South. See, I have spent, you may not know this, you may not be aware, but I've spent so much free time in Bayou country, they call me Cajun Joe Lieberman. In fact, why don't you call me that? Cajun Joe Lieberman. Uh, you, you see what a nice ring that has? Yeah, Cajun Joe. You see, I'm just a good old boy in many ways. Well, n- name one. Uh, well, remember country smash sensation Jerry Reed? Yeah, sure. He and I were fishing buddies from uh-huh. way back, I might add. Jerry Reed of Smokey and the Bandit and Cannonball Run uh, fame? No, uh, Jerry Reed from Schindler's List. Yes, Jerry Reed of Can- Cannonball Run. The very same. You know, Jerry and I are closest kinfolk, Doug. You know, we used to race pickups and just tear up the back roads and buy you country. Well, that's quite a surprise, Senator. Please, Doug, please, call me Cajun Joe. In fact, Cajun is just fine, too. Well, that's quite a surprise, Cajun let me tell you, at a catfish fry one night, I helped Jerry write Amos Moses. Did you know that? Uh, no. And by the way, even if I can't eat catfish or Jimmy Dean sausage, I more than make it up in red beans and rice. I just can't get enough of them vittles. I'm serious. So this, this happened at a catfish fry? Yeah, that's, that's where we wrote most of Amos Moses. See, I had it Moses Amos originally, but Jerry, in his infinite wisdom, turned it around. So you're saying that song's a collaboration? Yes, absolutely. Well, maybe not like Rodgers and Hammerstein, but I did suggest many phrases that are in that song, that are still in it. Really? And frankly, Doug, my britches are just fixing to bust with pride. Well, can you, which phrases? I love the, talking about this stuff. What, which I never fr- get a chance, really, on the Senate floor. I imagine not. What, which phrases are yours? Well, remember, 
Remember they raised up a son who could eat up his weight in groceries, Doug? Okay. You know, maybe not scientifically accurate, but I suggested the, ne- the next line, Doug. Named him after a man of the cloth, called him Moses Amos, which I thought was lyrically fine, but Jerry switched it to Amos Moses. Interesting. Became a huge hit. Yeah. And remember the line, he just bust him on the head with a stomp? Yeah. Well, that was mine. That was my line. Huh. Jerry added, that's all he got left because the alligator bit it. So we're talking about a real collaboration between you two. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a real give and take. Yeah. And I also helped with When You're Hot, You're Hot, that other hit he had. Yeah. Big hit. Remember when he said you can explain it all down at City Hall? Yeah, sure. Yeah. My idea. <laughs> Does Jerry give you any royalties for any of this? I'm full of surprises, Doug. That's Apparently why you I'm are, a good, Senator. I'm yeah. a good candidate for that reason, Doug. You, do you get any royalties? Well, um, no. Technically, no. I did get to be an extra in Cannonball Run 2, the sequel, and that was more than enough for me. Well, now, I, I don't remember you in that, Cajun. Well, Doug, you know, if you get the DVD and the deleted scenes, you'll see yeah. I played a rural gas station attendant who fills up the car driven by Dean Martin and Sammy Davis. You know, they were disguised as Catholic priests. Yeah. Kind of a stretch, but I had one line to Dino. Which was? You all best be moving along, you hear, boy? And it round up on the cutting room floor, you know. No, that's just, what a, what a shame. Thank God for DVD. Yeah. You see it all now. Yeah. Doug, I know I can appeal to voters in the Deep South, not like some ambulance chaser from North Carolina, who frankly wouldn't know a hot Louisiana jalapeno from a Hebrew national hot dog. You're talking about John Edwards. Well, people act like he's the only guy in the race for vice president because of Southern credentials. Poppycock. Well, North Carolina is in the South, Senator. Well, the Northern South. I'm sure John would get lost deep in Dixie. You know, I'd love to see him manage a pack of coonhounds like good old backwoods Cajun Joe. It's, it's, it's good old backwoods Cajun Joe now. Well, Doug, if a gator came into my neighbor's crawdad pond, I'd just wrestle him back out. Don't think I haven't done it. Y- you have. Lickety split. Uh-huh. Just like that. The trick is to hold the snout shut, Doug. You see, the muscles opening the jaws are weak. I've told Hadassah this a thousand <laughs> times. Well, who knew, Senator, that you wrestled gators? You see, the media was all over Howard Dean with his wrestling, but they don't realize that from summer school camp yeah. in the Mississippi Delta to fishing trips on recess from Congress, I'm a virtual son of the South. Well, we, we hope that can help you in your quest to become vice president. We'll, we'll try and spread the word. Cajun Joe. Well, y'all come back now, you hear? Okay. We'll, we'll talk to you again. Yeah! Here comes Amos! Amos Moses was a Cajun. That's it for the program. Our thanks to our guest, Gil Medavoy. We hope Gil will join us again in the future as events continue to, uh, to, to unwind over there in the Middle East. We hope that you will tune in again next Thursday at 5 o'clock when I will try and pull together my thoughts on my recent trip out of the country. This is Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. And as always, stay tuned for Todd Urich to follow with Hometown Atrocities. the cloth. Call him Amos Moses. Yeah. <laughs> now all the folks around South Louisiana 
and just use one hand. That's all he got left. Call the alligator, baby. <laughs> left arm gone, clean up to the elbow. Well, the sheriff got wind that Amos was in the swamp trapping alligator skin. So he snuck in the swamp, gonna get the boy, but he never come out again. Well, I wonder where the Louisiana sheriff went to. Amos Moses. Sit down on him, Amos. Make it count, son. <laughs> 